Garbage is Served is a not-safe-for-work podcast addressing controversial topics in the U.S., like baby boomer fragility and abstinence-only education that are guaranteed to ruin your family dinners. Each episode focuses on some of your family's regrettable misconceptions that your hosts, Jesse and Keeley, take to task. Welcome to season three on the podcast where we just make jokes about the Saw movies. Turns out there's a lot of good content from Saw. Three seasons worth, apparently. Yeah, apparently, because every episode has been about the Saw movies thus far. And keeping on that trend. We are talking body preservation today. A really happy, light topic for a beautiful Saturday morning, don't you agree? Yes, especially after the year and a half of pandemic we've been in. Yeah, we're really sensitive to our surroundings and the people in our lives, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What we're trying to say is that we're good people. And we're glad that you're here with us to be good people today. Donate all of your money to our personal bank accounts. We will uh, share 1% of the profits with a nonprofit organization that doesn't help anyone. Why are we talking about this topic? You ask me this every approximately time. every episode, and I honestly have no idea. <laughs> I know. We pick random topics to talk about based on how we're feeling, and this is one of them. <laughs> so we aren't deep people, we just have ideas and we talk about them. Cool. So what is body preservation? Before we get into the ins and outs, I do have a question that I wanted to ask you. I'm ready. What do you want to happen to your body after you die? I was thinking about this today, and... I think what I want to do, if money is no no problem, right? I can, I have, in this dream question, I have all the money sure. in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I were to have an end of life kind of directive for what would happen with my body, that's not the correct term, but whatever. If I were to die between the ages of like 35 and 50, I would probably want someone to freeze my body because why not? But if I'm like of an age and I've lived life, then put me straight into the dirt. That's all I want. I don't want to be put in a box. I don't want my body preserved. Ashes to ashes. I want to be cremated. Just use the proteins, the dead proteins in my body. Put me in the soil and let me feed Mother Earth. I feel that. I'm just joking about the cryogenic bit, but why not? So what about you, Jesse? Pretty pretty similar. I really like in your scenario how you have all the money in the world, and so after death, you'll continue to pay for your body to be frozen. Yeah. But we'll get into those logistics <laughs> later. I also just kind of want my body to decompose somewhere. I, I've seen stuff recently on the internet where you can like put your body in like a weird like compost bag thing and you become a tree. Right, right, right. I mean, I want to make sure that the tree that's being planted is like appropriate for the environment. Like native? Is that the right word? Yeah, like not an invasive yeah. species. Mm -hmm. I also like don't want to like horrify anybody by them being like, we're going to move this tree. Oh, it's a dead body tree. Like there's like a lot of creepy factors that kind of work their way into that. But um, yeah, I just, I kind of want the circle of life to just take over. That feels right. Like, doesn't it feel uncomfortable thinking of your body being injected with a bunch, like gallons of toxic? Toxic. Yes. You had asked me before I interrupted you and asked you the question about what you want to happen to your body. Like, what is body preservation? And I feel like depending on who you ask, it could be a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Because it could be being embalmed, or it could be being frozen, or it could be like preserved in like a fucking tomb. I don't know. Like, or in a museum, like all kinds of different things, right? Right. Like you could be mummified. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that your body can be preserved. But regardless, you're sort of 
interrupting some sort of like natural process. Yeah, you're really like halting the decomposition of the body. Or like doing something with it Hmm. that wouldn't necessarily happen on its own. Like my body also wouldn't become, like wouldn't feed a tree necessarily. Like I'd probably decompose in a dumpster somewhere. So (laughs) I I don't know why I said that. I don't know. It's fine though. Whatever you want. (laughs) We we want a raw dog death for (laughs) sure. Whenever I think of body preservation, my mind goes to Egyptians, and I did a little bit of a, a little bit of reading about why they have embalmed folks. They're one of the most ancient cultures to have done embalming. Around 6,000 BC, they did it for religious practices, right? They really cherished the souls of their fellow community members, and their thought was they need to preserve the body because once the soul leaves the body, the soul has to go on this journey. What is it called, Jesse? I forgot about what it's called. The circle of necessity. So they, the soul leaves the body, the, bo- the soul travels around, does the circle of necessity for 3,000 years, and it comes back to the body. So that's why Egyptian folks mummified their colleagues around 6,000 BC. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess that was like a really particular example. But I think like in a nutshell, people preserve bodies for cultural reasons, for religious reasons, and also not that those two aren't practical reasons, but like um, it's a war and a bunch of people died on this battlefield and we have to ship the these bodies across the United States. Let's put them on ice or preserve them in some way so that people can have that closure once those bodies arrive. So I think for me, religion, culture, and then practicality. And I guess I would also include in the practicality umbrella, like a lot of times bodies or parts of bodies are preserved for study, for science, right? That th- That's my understanding. Do you have things that I didn't touch on? No, I think that's a great summary. I do think like why as people who are raised Christian, yeah. we also practice body preservation, mm-hmm. which I realize to some extent hits that practicality criteria of having to like have a viewing of right. the body, like doing a funeral or a wake and a funeral. And so that makes sense. But usually, I mean, like the extent to which people are involved, like preserves their body for years. And like, we're talking about like a couple days, maybe a week max, which I mean, I'm grateful because having been to a thousand wakes, mm-hmm. I don't want to smell a rotting body. Right. Um, That would be really traumatic in an already traumatic situation. For sure. But beyond that, it almost feels a little bit like circumcision where I'm like, not quite sure. <laughs> why we do it. <laughs> no, I was reading about different faiths, at least American Christianity. I would say the folks that I've encountered, most of them do some sort of, not some sort, we just embalm bodies, right? For the funeral. It's a business. It's Oh, for sure. For sure. But then I was reading about Jewish folks and Muslim folks. And I think them, largely the the perception of embalming is like a violation of the body. So it does seem to be predominantly Christian. Yeah, that's interesting. I have heard recently, and I don't know what tribe this was specific to, but this is in the context of listening to a true crime story about an indigenous person who was murdered and how the family was kind of forced into embalming that person's Mm. body after death and which like conflicted with their actual beliefs of what is supposed to happen, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of layers of like why that story is really fucked up, but I don't think that everybody believes that we should it it feels like a a gut reaction almost where like because it's become such a big business or it is a big business that like everybody does it but I I don't think that that's true hashtag again circumcision again (laughs) circumcision The whole purpose of this conversation is just to drop 
parallels between circumcision and death. It's a uh, this Venn diagram of circumcision, <laughs> death, and the Saw movies is really interesting. <laughs> In order to escape death, you must get circumcised. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> no, I love this improv. I want to like yes and and support you. I'm just so surprised about where you're going. I'm not being helpful. I'm just enjoying it. Okay, so we know why people preserve bodies sort of yeah. sort of I mean I guess yeah we know bullet points as to why some people preserve bodies <laughs> I shared a little bit about Egyptian embalming and mummification I was reading the history of body preservation overall that's how do you do that that's not how you do it I was reading a western perspective of body preservation and how we got to where we're at today and besides the Egyptians there are two other big points on this timeline one was from the Renaissance, where they were starting to embalm bodies. Did you say it like that? I wanted to say it like that for you. <laughs> and they, you know, drained the bodies. They filled the bodies. It was a real crapshoot because it's not like they quite understood veins and arteries and all of that. But largely, I think... No big deal. No big deal. They shoved stuff in a body. I guess in the Middle Ages, they also shoved things in bodies, but it was more like spices and herbs. And then I think they got a little bit more... Um, technically savvy with filling body cavities in the Renaissance. And a lot of times bodies were preserved for science, for observation, etc. at that time. Okay, I hear you. But if I had to pick between the two, having my body stuffed with like herbs and spices sounds like pretty cool. <laughs> you know, like, you're not wrong. Please do that. <laughs> I would love to be full of mint. Just fill my body. Oh, maybe can I be planted in like a mint field? Can we do that with my body? I, yes. I mean, mint is like so uh, resilient as is I'm sure it would grow off of your flesh I think it'd be great okay and then the final like bullet point in my timeline uh it's just like modern embalming in western world I think it really were huge gains or strides were made during the civil war because so many people were dying and a guy Thomas something or other one of our famous Thomases found out that arsenic good old Tommy old Tommy Tommy and his arsenic so they were he was able to jam that full of bodies killed some people along the way because hashtag arsenic. Wait, he jammed the arsenic full of bodies? <laughs> Is that what I said? Yeah, that's exactly how arsenic works, right? <laughs> Anyways, I think then he discovered formaldehyde works, which is also toxic, but not as deadly to humans. And then he found out he could make this a business and the world of embalming was off in the United States. So those are the things that I know. What are your thoughts? I, I need to backtrack for a second mm-hmm. because you talked about arsenic and formaldehyde both being toxic to humans, yeah. but you're injecting them into dead humans. Uh, so like the risk of death there is not super great so uh like in what situation was good old arsenic tommy like putting arsenic into living people yeah i don't think he was putting it into living people i think that arsenic is poison enough that contact by being the person administering the arsenic it's also not safe there and i'm sure they didn't have rubble gloves or masks etc and so it was like a hazard of the arsenic jamming job okay so no ppe (laughs) no ppe yeah yeah yeah. Uh Uh uh-huh none of that i feel like i put his name in here oh thomas holmes it's a for our future (laughs) trivia night thomas holmes if you have the last name of holmes this is a complete side note you're probably a shitty person i mean there is like nobody with the last name holmes who is a good person that's interesting tommy the killer the serial killer in chicago from like the world's fair oh crap 
What was his first? I don't remember his first name. I, I don't know. I'm like, Edgar? I don't know. Edgar Allen Holmes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then Elizabeth Holmes, the bitch who uh, sold everybody that blood test. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to have to Google that. Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, just like a quick uh, summary since I already brought it up is that she claimed to create this technology where they could run a bunch of blood tests with just like a prick of blood or like a drop of blood. Okay. So I think it would be like a finger prick as opposed to like an actual blood draw. Mm-hmm. She actually like sold this technology that didn't exist to Walgreens and had all these investors and I think she had dropped out of Stanford during the process and everyone was like this can't be done or they were like in on the scam with her and anyways yeah I'll look up old Beth after this I like that you went with Beth and not Lizzie yep I did my uh um, so my middle name's Elizabeth and my aunt's name's Elizabeth and she goes by Beth and uh we have a contentious relationship so I think that's where I got that what about like Bethany because that seems like a real super bitch name do you people make Bethany from Elizabeth? Not that that's the point here, but (laughs) I really don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I hate Bethany's. mm -mm, We're done. So I watched a lot of Ask a Mortician about how the embalming process works. Please, please share this information. This is like the most interesting part. It's a show. It's a YouTube show. Forget her name. It's lovely. She's like a Miss Frizzle meets Morticia Adams. What a gay icon. For sure. And I'm pretty sure someone in the comments called her that. So I didn't make that up. But she's lovely. (laughs) She walks. She answers a lot of people's questions about being a funeral director because she's a funeral director in LA. Anyways, on a lighter note let's talk about how she embalms bodies the first thing that you have to do once the body arrives and you're getting ready to embalm is that you have to set the body's features because once you pump the body full of these liquids it will set the features in the way so you want to like make them make sure the mouth is set make sure the eyelids are set all of those things have to be set with like wires or eye caps things like that so basically you're like sewing pieces together or like shaping them like the eye caps i think help to make the eyelids stay closed correct that's very dark for sure how do you make a natural expression at that point she described how because you usually use wire to or they use glue to keep lips shut but sometimes wire to keep jaws shut i like that you're demonstrating this to me over the video (laughs) like you're squeezing your lips together as you're talking so that i know (laughs) well she does it and so i'm totally just imitating her because the thing i'm trying to get ready to describe is how she described gluing mouths like if you're making a mouth too smiley that's equally as creepy on a corpse as it is a frowny face (laughs) so you want to have like a relaxed pleasing expression I think primarily with the mouth because the eyes as you said earlier are closed I don't want the corpse to be frowning at me or smiling at me but I feel really demanding in this moment of corpses (laughs) certainly there are weird requests out there where people are like I spent a lot of money on my smile make sure people can see my smile on my corpse (laughs) show my <laughs> so you set the features and then you got to get out the bad shit pun intended because there is probably shit in the corpse but first of all I think you have to get out like the fluid from the veins and so they make a an incision by the collarbone and they pump through this big old needle like two and a half to three gallons of liquid formaldehyde solution whatever and that pushes old blood out the veins and fills the veins with this new liquid which sometimes is often colored to 
help give skin some color so it's not so corpsey looking. Yeah, I don't want my corpse to look like a corpse. I want my corpse to look like a clown. <laughs> Take note, Jesse. I want my corpse to look like a fresh spring baby. A fresh spring baby. <laughs> I'm going to think about what that even means. So that liquid's gone and now you have to deal with body cavities. And so you first have to get like gases and fecal matter out. And so I think there's an incision made in the abdominum, abdomen. (laughs) It's like aluminum and abdomen. Anyways, you got to jab in there and get this stuff, suck it out from the organs. And then you have to put in a different kind of solution to help the organs maintain their shape. So you don't have weird cavity shapes in the body. Again, having been to a lot of wakes and funerals for some reason, especially growing up, I don't know that I was really looking at the abdomen and judging its shape. Partially like maybe because like sometimes not like sometimes you only see like the top half of the body. And then also because like they're so posed, they have clothes on and stuff. It's like really hard to know really what they look like under there. Although I did have relatives who would like hug the body and stuff and like kind of fix it up in the casket after it had already been fixed. So I have never seen a funeral slash wake attendee touch the corpse. You're saying that you have. Oh, yes. Wow. No, that's not been part of my experience. It's weird. I was watching another mortician and he was talking specifically about putting makeup on to make people look more appealing as well as how to set their clothes. Bodies in death plus embalming body shapes change a lot. And so oftentimes if a person was prepared for their death and they've selected their outfit, that outfit may not fit anymore. And so sometimes those outfits are like cut on the back and it's just like tucked around them to make it make do. So I guess, yeah, those are the notes I have about embalming the body and then you know depending on the person maybe applying makeup if there was something like traumatic from illness or an accident that obviously requires different techniques all of that to say the profession of being a mortician and or a funeral director seems like a wild and complex career choice so anyways if you're gonna go be a mortician and a funeral director like you have to have skills in so many different things right like not only the science of working with dead bodies You have to be kind of a little bit of an artist. Like, can you imagine putting makeup on a dead body? First of all, makeup for dead bodies is different than makeup for regular bodies because there's no moisture in a dead body. So it's like specially makeup for dead bodies. Then there's like the emotional support element if you're working with families who are going through this really traumatic thing. And then fourth, if you're a funeral director, you're a small or large or medium-sized business owner. Like that is a lot to ask for someone. And the median income for a funeral director is like 60K. I can barely do makeup on myself. So I know I'd be bad at that. I don't have a science degree. I think that- If I worked in a setting like that, I would get like really immune to it after a while. Like you see like the same sort of trauma over and over again. And that definitely impacts you capitalizing on that. It's like, it's so kind of fucked. I know that this probably wouldn't be a popular choice, especially for the actual like uniroll service. But like, if we could just like reuse caskets, like I could see like, I want to be in a fancy box, I guess, if like people are looking at me after I'm dead, like uh, that's that's probably like a little bit more comforting for them. I don't need to be buried. Like no one's looking at my casket after I'm in the ground. Uh, That's a really fair point. And it's funny because I'm just thinking of like, I don't particularly love being on stage as a living, breathing human. <laughs> 
And so the idea of like dressing me up in a casket and putting me on like this podium, there's some comedy there that I hadn't thought about. Like, come look at my dead corpse that I can't do anything to control over. I don't know. I probably need to think about my death more and to get a plan in place because I don't really have a plan in place. You said podium and I automatically had this like vision of like your dead body. Um, yeah, like like a marionette puppet almost like standing <laughs> yeah. at a, uh, like someone has posed you in a very artistic way of like your mid speech. You're like, yeah, doing a TED talk. That's actually what I do want now. So <laughs> good idea. I mean, I think that this podcast is now just like an official record. I feel like I'm kind of embalmed out. Do you want to talk about other kinds of body preservation? You have some really great notes on different types of embalming, particularly mellification. I would love to hear more about that. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that back, Jesse. So whenever I initially started research for this episode, you know, 12 years ago, whenever we first started talking about it. Whenever I first started researching body preservation, there was like a list of 15 unique ways that people preserve bodies all around the world. I'm sure it was really culturally insensitive and it was from a Western perspective, but I read it still. And one of the examples it gave was called mellification, which is rumored to be an ancient Chinese tradition. It was written about in a pharmacology journal of some famous pharmacologists in Chinese history. My first bullet point is that this is a rumor that it happened. And even the pharmacology journal where it was referenced, he says he's uncertain if it was actually practiced or not. Okay. But the idea of malification is that some elders would determine that they were willing to sacrifice themselves for the betterment of their community. So whenever it was getting to be time for them to die, they would start ingesting only honey, just copious amounts of honey to start honeyfying. I don't know what verb to use there. Their insides. Once they actually did die, they were placed into a coffin full of honey. I don't know. I say coffin. I don't actually know know what that looks like. That was the word they used. They were set into a container and stewed in honey for 100 years. You are what you eat. <laughs> you are what you eat. Well, it's funny. That's going to continue through the story, Jesse, because what would happen at the end of that 100 year mark, the body would be taken out of the coffin. They like they actually timed like they'd be like 100 years ago. Supposedly, they supposedly on these caskets, coffins, whatever, they would date them. So they would wait for this amount of time. They would take the body out of its container, they would chop it up into little bitty confectionery pieces and they would sell them on the street. And the goal would be to give it to people who were sick or if they had like a broken bone. This human confection was claimed, it claimed to like heal broken bones and solve all kinds of ailments. You're sick. Here is some honey and a dead body. Here's great grandpa, <laughs> his body broken for you. <laughs> I didn't realize until I was just saying that, that that kind of represents communion in some way, the body of Christ broken for oh, you. Holy shit, it really does. That's what malification is. So who knows if it's real or not? It's a wild idea though. Like it's not my least favorite thing I've ever heard. I mean, like if somebody could turn me into like a delicious treat after death, I mean, that's fine too. Like ingest me, I don't care. <laughs> I'm dead. Ingest. God, it's perfect. I'll just legally change my name. What gives me pause in this situation is just like, that's a fuck ton of honey. Like you have to harvest so much goddamn honey. Like is there honey left? Like is that then 
the only situation in which you ever get to eat honey because like all of the honey is being harvested and used. When you do get to eat honey, it's like corpse honey. And also follow-up question, if there is a shortage of honey, can you reuse the corpse honey? Holy shit. I mean, it doesn't spoil. I could totally see this coming back though and being at Whole Foods and seeing like corpse honey on the shelf and then like people being like, I only eat corpse honey. It helps me with my allergies. It's full of nutrients and protein. Keto. It's like Manuka honey, but more (laughs) bougie. Fuck, I'm going to start selling that. I'm going to fucking just grab some honey bears, repackage them and put them Mm -hmm. in little, little, like instead of a bear, it'll be like a person. Yeah, no, that checks out. I think part of our store should be corpse corpse honey branded yes our store Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yep our uh, podcast store season three got it (laughs) well I guess on that weird tangent as part of my research for this episode I got really into thinking about cryonic technologies naturally naturally it really overlaps with like the culty side of our podcast because we have to talk about cults and capitalism and perhaps now multi-level marketing and every opportunity that we get so cryonic technologies is like cryo I don't know cryogenics I feel like there's a few different words for it and I don't know if there's a lot of uh, differentiation in those terms Mm. because this isn't a real science. So the idea is that you preserve somebody's body to reanimate them later sometime in the future. If you've ever seen Futurama, it's like the same thing, right? Like you get frozen, you get woken up, you're still a person with all of your mental awareness and mobility intact. I like that you're Touchpoint is Futurama, because for me, with cryogenics, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze from the Batman movie. Wow, I actually hadn't (laughs) even thought about that. The idea of cryonics is based on a 1962 book called The Prospect of Immortality by a guy named Robert Ettinger. I am over-articulating that name, and I do not know why. (laughs) Immortal Bobby, uh, he was born in Detroit. Jesse, he's he's still alive because he's probably frozen somewhere. So he is frozen somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so immortal Bobby was born in Detroit and eventually he moves to Scottsdale, Arizona in the nineteen nineties. He had a degree in physics and mathematics. So I guess like he, he knows like some science and math. And he did eventually die in Detroit and was cryopreserved in two thousand eleven. He was like, I think raised Jewish, but was an atheist. So like there is not a lot of like religious meaning to this Hmm. like technology that he developed and I'm using a lot of air quotes for our listeners so that they know. So because of his ties to Michigan and Arizona, there are cryonics institutes in both of these places. So in Michigan is the cryonics institute. Their goal is to preserve, again, in air quotes, your body so that you can be revived in the future. And Mm -hmm, they see this mm -hmm. as a method for outlasting disease, death, aging, and they use liquid nitrogen to freeze you. Hmm. This process, because there's a lot of legal implications (laughs) to freezing somebody, because like if you're you've already died, you know, like you're you're freezing a dead body. Like because you can't actually like, I guess like hire an institution to kill you, you have to free somebody after legal death occurs. So you cannot perform this process on people who are still technically living. Freezing a bunch of dead bodies. And it costs a fuck ton of money. So at the Cryonics Institute, it's about $28,000 as a baseline. And that's due at the time of death. When you die, you have some bills to pay. Yeah, hope your family's taken care of because it's going to cost a lot to freeze you. Really quickly, Jesse, the liquid nitrogen, is that like, are they just like pumping liquid nitrogen into your veins? Or is it like you're put into a liquid nitrogen bath? 
or both? I think that you're put into a liquid nitrogen like tank. Okay. Is my understanding. Because previous to using liquid nitrogen, like they were putting bodies on ice. They were just <laughs> literally like, in like styrofoam containers. So it's like it's not it's not well thought out. Minor fluctuations in temperature, even by like a degree or so, I think can cause a lot of damage to a human body. So if you think about like in your freezer, like something that's been sitting in there for a long time probably has freezer burn. And that happens oh. because of minor fluctuations in temperature in your freezer. So like you'd want to have a really consistent temperature for your frozen bodies. Um, so also in Michigan is the Immortalist Society, which was founded by Immortal Bobby in the 1960s. <laughs> it is technically a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Obviously, obviously. And it directly supports the work of the Cryonics Institute. I want to read their mission statement sometime. I think that would be interesting. Okay, so I just pulled up the Immortalist Society homepage, and uh, it's they're located in Clinton Township, Michigan. And there's just a quote at the top that says, longevity through technology, education, and research. And then like has, Amen. Some, has some science pictures, really generic science pictures. <laughs> they are currently fundraising. It turns out they do have a Cairo prize, Jesse, to help fundraise. What what is the prize? Does it say? You know, it just went to another page with a lot of text. I do like that in their description it says the fact at very low temperatures it is possible right now italicized and underlined to preserve dead people with essentially no deterioration. I was just so struck by the use of dead people. <laughs> they're called a fucking immortalist society and they're like right now we can we can preserve dead people. It makes me a little sad because not only like let's think about their logic right like they're trying to preserve dead bodies with the hopes that there'll be technology in the future that will reanimate bodies. So they don't even they haven't even figured out like the really good way to freeze the dead body. No. <laughs> Let alone the reanimation down the road. It's like it makes me a little sad for them. Below that fact, if civilization endures, medical science should eventually, again italicized and underlined, be able to repair almost any damage to the human body, including freezing damage and senile debility or other cause of death. With these intriguing and stirring words, okay, apparently part of that was a quote. There's like an end quote there, but not. I don't know where it started. It didn't. So with these intriguing and stirring words, Robert Ettinger effectively fully launched the field of cryonics. Organizations were formed to help change the theory into reality. Today, several decades later, actual cryonics facilities and organizations exist for the purpose of helping to carry out this revolutionary concept. Spoiler alert, there are four. <laughs> there are four institutions where you can actually have your body frozen, Three are in the U.S. and one is in Russia. So like as of 2014, 250 people that we know of have been cryopreserved or were at that time. And the four facilities that I referenced, that's as of 2016, just as a reference. There isn't like a ton of updated data all the time. So so these are like the official numbers of people who've been put into cryotanks, whatever, right? At these institutions. Yes. Do you think there's like a B level, a black market of people? I have no doubts. I have no doubts. Okay. <laughs> to tell you about the the other institution that's in Arizona, because we know mm, Immortal Bobby please. lived in both Michigan and Arizona. It is called the Alcor ALCOR Life Extension Foundation. And this is from their webpage, quote, Cryonics is an effort to save loves 
by using <laughs> I'm sure that was supposed to be lives no it's loves the loves in your lives you are saving them that is canon now please continue <laughs> I love this so much Cryonics is an effort to save lives sick by using temperatures so cold that a person beyond help by today's medicine can be preserved for decades or centuries until future medical technology can restore the person to full health. So they do use chemicals. This institution uses chemicals to allow for quote-unquote ice-free preservation. So Mm. I I don't know what that means. I would assume that's also liquid nitrogen, but... Yeah, interesting. I have no idea. What I love about this place is that (laughs) you have to pay a monthly fee of $55 for your membership. I believe you start paying that when you're still alive. So you have to become a member. Oh, wow. Beforehand, they do work with your life insurance policy. So they they require that you have a specific type of life insurance policy to pay for for your preservation post-death. And then you have to name Alcor as your beneficiary. Whoa, that's so predatory. It's so predatory. The policy has to cover $200,000 for your body and then $80,000 for your brain. That's just a lot to take in. And what happens if like your life insurance policy company goes out of business? They just like chuck bodies and brains? I mean, I I have so many questions because it would also make sense. Logic would follow that if a scam like this, I mean, if I were in this field, I would create my own life insurance company to like also continue scamming. I'm sure that most life insurance policies don't cover cryogenics and preservation for (laughs) decades or centuries. I am sure your options are limited and it's got to be people who believe in cryogenics who would even entertain the idea of building that into a legal policy where they would actually pay money to a company for that. If, say, they actually do, you know, you're you're being preserved for decades or centuries until medical science is, you know, equipped to sure. to reverse your death somehow. That business can't go out of business. Um, it has mm-hmm. to continue existing. They need to continue paying rent or owning whatever property where they store you. Right. They need to have all of the tools and chemicals, all of the, the quality pieces to continue freezing you. Like, it seems so far-fetched. Right. In hundreds of years, you would still be in this, like, tank at this business that will still be existing. I wonder how how much energy it takes to keep one body, quote, on ice, so to speak, for decades. Like if there's an energy shortage, I'm coming after those cryo humans <laughs> to get that energy first. That has been a problem throughout the this brief history of cryogenics so far is that people can't afford, like people will be like, I'm going to do this for people and then haven't been able to afford to keep those bodies preserved. So I had shared a podcast with you about this guy who was like a TV repairman who Mm -hmm. got really into cryogenics and ended up freezing bodies I don't know in like a space on his property that's what I recall like he tried to start some organization for a club of people to freeze themselves and then they didn't have the capacity to really do that so it was like coolering people on his properties my takeaway it's wild that was like ice and styrofoam containers and eventually like because it was so expensive he couldn't keep up with it like he just didn't have the money and he just kind of locked the bodies in a vault and took off he wrote a book about it isn't that a crime something with corpses it's like a yes just to go over the details of that story so his name was bob nelson and in 1962 he became involved with cryonics he had no background in science or mathematics he didn't even have a high school degree what you were saying earlier with like mortuary sciences like there's a lot of skills that you have to have he didn't really have 
any of those skills through uh, his education or his life experience. He became the president of the Cryonic Society of California, <laughs> and he stored bodies in styrofoam containers with dry ice. Not regular ice, but with dry ice. They were in his friend's garage. He really splurged, I guess. Good job? I don't know. So after he ran out of money, he just locked him up, locked the vault of bodies, and he left the bodies to decompose. The surviving relatives of those bodies that he had left to decompose they did file a lawsuit against him and they won mm. about eight hundred thousand dollars so he um kind of good old bobby nelson not immortal bobby but tv repairman bobby he <laughs> dropped out of sight in about 1978 but eventually published a book in 2014 called freezing people is parentheses not easy i wonder if he made back that 800k i mean at that point it's like oj you know like you just yeah you have these are your options i'm gonna continue to poke fun at these cry cry road nerds that's hard for me to say right now when i'm a little <laughs> stuffy i think something that i keep get, getting stuck on with their train of thought is that they have so much more faith in humanity than i do like we can't even we have a solution to a pandemic right now, and we can't even figure that out as humans. And they think that their bodies are going to be on ice long enough that humans are going to find a way to bring people back to life and that they're going to choose to bring those bodies back to life. I was actually going to try to be optimistic in that moment and say like, oh, they must have such a positive outlook of humans, but I just can't even wrap my heads around it. I'm still like... It does strike me though, like the idea that you have so much faith, somebody somewhere is going to be like, oh, like we found the cure for all Alzheimer's. And you're going to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to those weird ass cryogenic institutes and I'm going to revive some people with with dementia who, who have been dead. And I'm going to cure their dead bodies of dementia after defrosting them somehow. Uh, because right. at this point, we'll also have the technology to defrost a body. It just doesn't add up. Plus, isn't the saying like after three generations, no one remembers you? Like no one's going to come back for your body, Karen. Unless cryonics takes over and like becomes a really popular idea. I mean, it's right. so like insular and like siloed from the rest of the world that I mean, do these companies, institutions like advocate like do they like donate to take that money and like donate to medical research hmm. like are, are they doing anything to actually support this idea that like somebody's going to care about these bodies later on my guess is no <laughs> i think that we should probably become investigative journalists and infiltrate a cryonic society you can go to michigan i'll go to arizona we'll get jobs can we actually just do it together at the same one or do you think our cover would be blown um i think that we would enable each other to do terrible things so that could really go either way we we would just end up dying if we did it together. Okay. I would want perspectives from both states. So I mean, maybe we would uh, do like a nomad land sort of situation. Sure. Good strategy. Good strategy. In addition to what we've already discussed, I wonder if in the scenario where you your body is preserved, uh, it's the future, somebody reanimates you, they cure you of whatever disease, and like you have 10 more years to live now suddenly. It's 100 years in the future. What do you do? Right. How do you make money? How are you a person? And wouldn't you just be massively depressed that everyone that you knew is dead? I also question, so like say you're reanimated and this cure exists for whatever terminal illness you have. How do you pay for it? Is it free? 
free? Do you have health insurance? Is mm. this is is universal health care exist in the future? And if so, does it exist for people who are already legally dead? That's going to be a Supreme Court case, a universal Supreme Court case. Yeah. What if like the landscape of healthcare is completely different? Uh, where do you live? What do you eat? Mm. Where do you right. get a job? All your family is dead. Yeah. Think about it being really depressing that like you get reanimated hundreds of years later and you're this person who is really optimistic about humanity and you're expecting to wake up into some like Star Trek utopia and it's just more shitty humans. Like I feel like (laughs) it would just be so sad. Was it worth it? (laughs) It's just really expensive to die whether or not you're being oh this is interesting jesse what were you saying was the total cost to be frozen it was starting at twenty eight thousand dollars. that's a lot but looking at an average funeral cost death is really expensive funerals are really expensive so like embalming typically costs about five hundred to a thousand dollars a casket could be like average around twenty five hundred you have funeral home fees to pay which are around two thousand and this is all data from 2019 this could have changed especially given the past two years you have to transport your remains potentially i mean even from like hospital to funeral home to cemetery that's about 350 dollars. you have to pay for like the funeral home staffing like for them to work the wake and the funeral you have to pay for a hearse i mean these are all like several hundred dollars ish a piece and this is based on data from lincoln heritage funeral advantage uh which is a company and they got this data from national funeral directors association just FYI. You also pay for like print materials. So like a memorial package. I know like Catholics always have those like little prayer cards with a person's name on it and their dates of birth and death. Mm. Then you have flowers, wreaths. You have to pay for the burial plot. You have to pay for the grave marker. So all in all, the total cost of like a burial would be somewhere around seven to $10,000. Cremation is a little bit cheaper, usually more like in the range of six to $7,000. It's expensive regardless. But then if you add like if you are paying that like 50 to 5 dollar monthly fee and then you right. have this giant life insurance policy um, or you pay that $28,000 at the time of death so that you can be preserved I'm like does your family still have a service for you? Like you're not buried. It's hard for me to imagine a family where everyone's on board with the recently deceased being cryogenically frozen. So I feel like there would just be a lot of tension because if the corpse is frozen or the body is frozen, I think the family would still want to have some kind of closure. It's all a fucking scam. It is a scam, full stop. But as you were listing those things, Jesse, it was interesting to think about how many of those line items can cross over to wedding planning. (laughs) So that chart is interesting. (laughs) So, Keely, I think that we've already covered a lot of ways to ruin a family dinner. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what specifically, what topics would you highlight at a family dinner to make everyone deeply uncomfortable? So I I was mulling this over. And I think the easiest way for me to ruin a family dinner, because I think in my family, I'll be the only one who raw dogs it to the afterlife. I think everyone else is going to be embalmed, which again is their choice. And I will totally honor that. But I think at a family dinner, if I wanted to ruin it, I could start off by saying something like, you know, by embalming your body, you're killing the environment and you're kind of responsible for some climate change or hurting the environment, whatever. So I think that would be an unpleasant conversation, to say the least, on a couple of different fronts. So that's how I would ruin my family dinner. Do you have anything that you'd like to add, Jesse? Yeah, definitely. So there's a story that I read, another different news story about a woman. This is a story from 2018 
2018 in Russia, where she was going, she was undergoing laparoscopic surgery to remove ovarian cysts. She was about 28 years old. Oh, yeah. And they accidentally injected her with formalin. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, which is 40% formaldehyde, which is dissolved in oh. water. And she lived for about 14 hours and she was killed because they accidentally injected her with this embalming chemicals. Uh, and that's how toxic Ooh. they are is that like, even though they made this mistake and like she had all this medical care, obviously killed her. So yeah, I mean, maybe just like to to just bring home your point even harder, like shit is bad. Talking about dead bodies at dinner in general would not be a hit at my family dinner table. I would also just love to have that conversation with family about how much uh, funeral directors and morticians get paid. I feel like if you were a funeral director or mortician, you would have to go to a lot of therapy because it would change your perspective on dead bodies, right? Start a GoFundMe for your family at dinner to donate to the therapy funds for morticians. And then pass the meatloaf, ma. And then say it's honey meatloaf. Oh, gross. So, Jesse, we ruined yet again another family dinner. Do you have any recommendations for our dear listeners? No. Do you? <laughs> I mean, topically, you do what you want with your body. But don't be a dick. But don't be a dick. And we might judge you a little bit. And then for my millennial cohort members, uh, we're broke and it's going to cost us a lot whenever we die. So I'm going to start thinking about that, I guess.